welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Tim. I'm Carrie McCoy, and like Tim said, it's time for me to get up in your business. For the next hour, my guest, Skip Rutherford, Dean of the Clinton School of Public Service, and I will be getting up in the business of Arkansas politics, public service opportunities, and of course, the business of the Clinton Library and School. Through our storytelling, you will hear how we maneuvered the path of leadership and entrepreneurship in pursuit of our dreams, and we'll be answering questions or giving advice via phone and email. My business experience began over 40 years ago when I founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, Arkansas Flag and Banner has grown and morphed from door-to-door sales to telemarketing to mail order and catalog sales and now relies heavily on the internet. Each change in sales strategy required a change in the company thinking and procedures. My confidence, leadership knowledge, and my company grew. My initial $400 investment now produces nearly $4 million in annual sales. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversations between me and my guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that I hope you'll find interesting. Running a business or organization is like so many things. It takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. I worked part-time jobs for nine years before Arkansas Flag and Banner grew enough to support just me. It's now grown and expanded so much that to operate efficiently, we require, are you ready for the list? A purchasing, manufacturing, graphic, shipping, technology, accounting, marketing, sales, and customer service department, plus a retail store. 25 people make their living from working at Arkansas Flag and Banner. I hope you'll take advantage of this unique opportunity to ask questions or share your experience by calling or emailing me and my guest on today's show. Before we start, I want to introduce you to the people at the table. We have Tim Bowen, our technician, who will be taking your calls and pushing the buttons. Say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. (laughs) My guest today is a familiar name to many. Mr. Skip Rutherford, Dean of the Clinton School of Public Service and a long-standing and influential person in Arkansas politics with an impressive bio. It was 1978 when Skip began in politics by volunteering for David Pryor's first run at the Senate. When Pryor won, Skip hired on for five years as his director in Arkansas. Though Skip's next career move was to Arkla Gas Company under Mac McClarty, he stayed active in politics by founding the Political Animals Club, a nonpartisan organization of political activists and community leaders. A decade later, in 1989, Rutherford was named chairman of the Democratic Party of Arkansas, while his friend, Bill Clinton, whom he had met in Fayetteville during college, served as governor. The next year, Skip would become the president of Little Rock School Board, where he worked on a state-funded plan that would end lingering segregation in Pulaski County schools. Only two years later, in 1992, Skip would go to work as a senior advisor on Bill Clinton's presidential campaign. Again, his candidate won. Following President Clinton's election, Rutherford took an executive job as vice president of Cranford Johnson Robinson Woods Ad Agency, where he created a public policy division for them. Skip, being an ardent supporter of revitalization of downtown Little Rock, 
began the work of planning the William J. Clinton Presidential Center and Park. In 2004, his accomplishments would be recognized as he was named Arkansan of the Year by the Arkansas Broadcast Association and the Arkansas Times, named Headliner of the Year by the Arkansas Press Association, and received the Tourism Person of the Year Award at the Arkansas Governor's Conference on Tourism. In 2006, Rutherford became Dean of the Clinton School of Public Service, which offers the first master's degree in public service in our whole country. And he's developed one of our nation's most outstanding college speakers series. If you haven't gone down there and heard them, you need to. And you'll find out today how to get on the list to hear who's coming. In 2014, the American Red Cross of Greater Arkansas named Rutherford the Clara Barton Distinguished Humanitarian of the Year. And if that's not enough, Skip Rutherford also co-owns and manages two family farms in Arkansas. Whew. It is an honor and a privilege to welcome to the table Mr. Skip Rutherford. Thank you, Carrie. I'm glad to be here, and it's always good to visit. And I look forward, uh, you know, to a good, candid, fun conversation. That's right. You were the first president of the Clinton Foundation and are now the dean of the Clinton School of Public Service. Are you still the president of the Clinton Foundation? No, I'm, I haven't been on the Clinton Foundation board in several years. Uh, I, my role in 1997 when the foundation was started was to plan the Clinton Presidential Library. And it's interesting because we're 20 years from that. It doesn't seem... What? No, it's not really. 1997, 2017, 20 years. Since you started planning the Clinton Library? Since I started planning the Clinton Library. While and you were at Cranford? Yes, Rock. yes. And um, President Clinton uh, and his team asked me to coordinate the planning. I didn't go to Washington like many Arkansans did when he was elected. Uh, my three children were young at the time, and I couldn't figure out how to make Washington work and still go to dance recitals and soccer games. I just couldn't figure, I couldn't make that work. So I stayed. I was the Arkansan who stayed. Glad I did, um, because I had the opportunity to, to work on the library project. And as you mentioned in the introduction, I was really interested in the revitalization of downtown Little Rock, which, by the way, congratulations on 25 employees. Oh, thank what you. Four million sales. Great job. I'm, thank you. I, I'm, I'm one of your customers. Yeah, you said you just went in there a I few did, days ago. Did. Thank but, you. Uh, but so I was. It gave me an opportunity to to look at downtown Little Rock and to think we can do better than this. Uh, the Clinton Library was a huge economic catalyst. You put 165 million dollars and plant that on what was an old warehouse district on the east side of the freeway and you can make monumental change um, so when we started we had four major goals on that library number one was archival preserve the records build up a, a partnership with the butler center for arkansas studies so that arkansas history and american history were right down the street the second was education to develop an educational program which we did with the clinton school which i again had no thought at the time that I would be dean, but also for the thousands of school children that come through uh, every year to the library and, and visit the programs. Um, the third thing was economic development, because my real goal in this thing was how can we shape the future of downtown Little Rock? And m other presidential libraries, most of them have been located in sentimental locations or remote locations and our land that was just given to them. And we chose to do a different model, not saying we were totally correct, but 
We had a lot of controversy, but we got it done. And then the fourth was tourism, because Arkansas needed a major new tourism uh, project. And I do think the Clinton Library taught people how to think big, and, and I think it inspired a whole bunch of things, including not directly, but indirectly, uh, Crystal Bridges and other aspects that have, that have come into our... So education, archival, economic development, tourism, tourism. 20 years later, you know, I'm, I, I can sit back and say um, that, that overall it's, it's, it's been a good deal. What's the difference between the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Library, and the Clinton School? Well, all three separate entities. Oh, really? The Clinton Foundation is a private, uh, nonprofit foundation for philanthropic uh, and charitable uh, work. The Clinton Library is, belongs to the National Archives and Records Administration. It is an official government agency where the papers that are at the Clinton Library belong to the government. The gifts belong to the government, and they're managed by federal employees who are on site in Little Rock. The school is through the University of Arkansas system. And so while we all share names and locations, we have three completely different reporting structures. Wow, I had no idea. It's complicated when you have foundation, library, center, park, school. It gets complicated. Yes, I, it does. Yeah, but and there's three separate deals. Well, I think this is a great place to take a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to hear how Skip's career developed and evolved into what it is today. We'll talk about the Clinton's school course offerings and its degrees, how you can apply, and we'll hear Skip's favorite success story from his students, and we'll get his views on the future of downtown Little Rock, public schools in Arkansas, and if we have time, politics in America. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Mr. Skip Rutherford, Dean of the Clinton School of Public Service. Let's start at the beginning, Skip. Did you study political science in school? Studied journalism, though I did a lot of, took a lot of political science courses, was inspired by a lot of people, uh, including Kay Goss. Uh, who? Kay Goss, who worked, who later worked for uh, uh, Governor Clinton and President Clinton. She taught... Uh, uh, political Arkansas politics course for me at the University of Arkansas and she was a young teacher at the time and really had a positive impact on me to say I really like this stuff and I really think uh, I want to be around it so I was inspired by a lot of good teachers and um, so journalism concentration public relations and but a lot of political courses and involvement Wow, I noticed when you got came out of school, you went to work at a PR department at a bank in Fayetteville. I did. Uh, what made you decide to leave the private sector and move into politics? Was there an event that happened? Well, the uh, I loved my time in Fayetteville. I loved living there. We uh, um, it was a, it was a great place, um, and I'm grateful to Hayden McElroy who gave me an opportunity to be a young PR director at a young age. Um, but um, I had volunteered on the 1978 David Pryor campaign, and after that, um, I got a call from him one day on the phone and said, would you be interested in coming to Little Rock and talk to me about, talking with me about a, a position? And when David Pryor called me on the phone, I thought it was one of my friends playing a joke. <laughs> um, you know, I was 28 years old. I thought, 
this guy sure sounds a lot like Governor Pryor, but why would Governor Pryor be calling me? Um, but but it tr- turned out to be Governor Pryor. And it was because you had volunteered in Fayetteville on his campaign That's for right. the Senate race. And th- which is one of the advices I would give to young people and to others who in positions of work and leadership, you never know who is watching. You don't know who's watching your performance. It never, I wasn't volunteering to get a job. That never, we loved living in Fayetteville. We loved our house. We liked everything about it. Um, There wasn't, there wasn't a job thing, but, but people who were close to prior, big donors to prior, big supporters of prior said, as he was filling out his staff, you ought to take a look at this young kid and give him a chance. Um, and I've, I've learned that that's a valuable lesson. And I always say to our students, when you're in the field working or uh, to my own children, look, you know, you don't realize who's out there watching the work you're doing. So professionally, even if you're having a bad day, do a good job. I think that is such good advice because you never know where your next job's going to come from or, or who is going to make that offer i mean I, I i every every position that i've had has been someone has um has seen me um on the job well and is that how you got your job at arkla with mac mcclarty he saw you working for Senator Pryor, because you stayed with Senator Pryor for five years because he got elected and you stayed with him. But then you went back into the private sector at Arkla Gas for Mac McClarty. I guess Arkla Gas is called the private sector. Is it, it was, a private? Yeah, it, is it, that it, considered it was private? A, well, it was a public utility, but it was a p- private sector, yeah. It and was, so did Mac McClarty see you working for Governor Pryor? I Mac, mean, Senator Pryor? Yeah, Mac McClarty graduated from Fayetteville in May of 1970. Of, of 1968, and I entered in September of 1968. So our paths at the University of Arkansas never crossed. But when we moved back to Little Rock, he was very good friends and worked closely with David Pryor. We also attended Pulaskiites United Methodist Church, where the McClarties attended. And so I would see him professionally at work on variety of issues, and then Sunday at church and developed a friendship with both he and Donna. And when he moved to Arkla Gas, he called me and said, you want to come over here and come to work with me here? Did Senator Pryor win his next election? He did. He won. He was reelected in 1984. He defeated Congressman Bethune in that race. And you, but you didn't want to stay? Well, it wasn't that I didn't want to stay. It was just that a the oppor- opportunity. Well, in a different opportunity, and, and it was um, – I had an enormous respect for David Pryor and, and have, will always have, um, succeeded him as dean of the Clinton School. And, and, um, but, but Matt McClarty offered me an opportunity to advance both personally and professionally. And I had a great deal of respect for Matt McClarty, who is one of my very closest personal friends. And while you were working for Mac, you did keep your hand into politics a little bit because you started the Political Animals Club that, I mean, what is that? And is it well, still it, around? Well, it, yeah, it's still around. And oh, Rex, Nel- Rex Nelson heads it up now. Um, but um, And why did you start it and what well, does it do? Because I, I, was having, I was having withdrawal from politics. <laughs> and uh, I, one of the things I missed from Pryor's office and the Pryor campaign was the opportunity to sit and 
have political discussions with my friends and even with people that we were campaigning against uh, just to talk about the state of politics, both in the state and in the country. So I thought, okay, there are Rotary Clubs, there are BMPW Clubs, there are all sorts of civic organizations. Why don't we do a political animals club where people just get together and have a meal and talk politics and bring a speaker in or just talk among themselves? And I thought, hey, if, if Kiwanis and Rotary and Lions Club and BNPW could do this, I think I could give it a shot. And there, and I love the name political animals. I mean, you got Lions Club. So y- y'all are the political animals. Yeah, with political animals. That was clever. Whose yeah. name? Whose idea was that? Well, it was mine. Oh, Good job. I love the Thanks. name of it. Y'all are political animals. We are. And and so and we, Kiwanis and lions and No, it's great. But we so what we got was got all these people at nonpartisan. We I didn't it doesn't matter what party you're in, doesn't matter. Um so we got people together. Our first meeting was at the, the old Coachman's Inn in downtown where the post office is now. Oh, okay. It was the the Stevens owned the Coachman Inn. It was it, it's it was the capital hotel of its day. And um we met there, uh, and um, the first speaker was Judge William J. Smith of the Friday Law Firm, who was Orville Faubus's attorney during the 1957 Central High Crisis. Ooh, I bet he had a good story. It was a great story, and I, you know, I, 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 I wish I'd taken copious notes, but I didn't, because everything at that time was off the record. Right, and it just wasn't readily available recording devices and audio and video to record everything. And, and he, he didn't, I mean, we didn't record speakers because we wanted them to be totally candid and totally and relaxed. Honest. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but I, I thought, wow, this man knows so much about history and so much about this city. And, um, and I'd, I'd not grown up in Little Rock. I'd grown up in Batesville and then went to the University of Arkansas and, Hayden McElroy gave me an opportunity, and so I we I really sort of thought my life would be planted in Fayetteville that I would that that's where it would be. You did some other things. You were the school board, right? But we're going to save that for the next segment. But you did meet Bill Clinton in Fayetteville, and when he started talking about running for the president, you became on the committee to decide whether to do it or not. Well, that, that's that's not quite factual okay you were an arkansas traveler i was i was no the what happened was is the real story was that bill clinton was was asking several people for advice um and one day um he invited me out to the governor's mansion and we were sitting um we were we were there and he asked there were several of us there but he asked well i'm thinking about running for president what do you think about that idea this was 1991 and i said governor that's the worst idea i've ever heard in my life you do not have a chance uh, with the highest respect you're, you're you know nobody from arkansas is um can raise a type of money that it takes to to compete you're going to lose the democratic primary to governor cuomo of new york and then george hw bush is so popular there's just no way the only justification I could see doing this is that if you're planning to set the groundwork for 1996, but I think this is the uh, really, uh, you know, shot in the dark. That's what I thought. I wondered if you advisors were, really thought he could get accomplish the presidency, or if y'all were just trying to get him on a national level to get name recognition for future opportunities. Well, I think each 
person he talked to had a different opinion. I think there were some who thought, yeah, let's go for this. Um, but my advice on the front end was, I, I don't know how you could make this work. Um, but, but guess who was, who, was, who was wrong on that issue? So you met him in, in Fayetteville. Yeah, a friend of mine called uh, and said, what are you doing after work? And I said, nothing. He said, well, come over. Uh, and sit on my patio, which will show you how old we are, Carrie, <laughs> at least how old I am. Come over and sit on our patio. I want you to meet a friend of mine who's moving back to Fayetteville. And I said, well, who is it? He said, well, it's a guy named Bill Clinton. I said, well, who's Bill Clinton? He said, well, you know, he, he graduated from Hot Springs High School. He went to Georgetown, um, then was a Rhodes Scholar, and, uh, and then went to Yale Law School. And I said, well, what in the world is he doing coming back to Arkansas? Thinking this guy could make a trillion dollars on Wall Street. He said, well, I, he's going to teach at the law school and he wants to run for office, I think. And I said, really? And I said, yeah, I'll come by and visit with him. And that was the first time I met him. Did you, could you tell he was going to end up being the governor and the president of the United States? You know, Carrie, I wish, talk about a recording. Yeah. I could have been rich if I could have recorded that conversation because people ask me that all the time. Um, I don't remember the specifics. What I do remember was walking away saying, wow, this guy is really smart. He's well-read. He's well-versed. He's well-thought-out. I mean, it was like, you know, he had just come back to Arkansas, and he knew more about the 3rd Congressional District than I did. And I just thought, wow, this guy's smart. And that's the Fayetteville District. That's the Fayetteville District. And he brought with him, did you meet Hillary at the same time? Not at the time. I met her later when she came down. Um, And she thought she was giving up her whole career and going to, she was a rock star in California. Well, they were both, they both could have been rock stars across, and they they both ended up being rock stars um, nationally. But, um, you know, again, um, she came and, and, uh, and I, uh, I didn't. I didn't get to know her immediately at first. I really got to know her better when he, when Bill Clinton was Attorney General. She was practicing law at the Rose Law Firm, and uh, David Pryor was in the Senate, and I was directing his Arkansas office. And where we really got to know each other was at the Hillcrest Softball League, mm-hmm. because our daughter Martha Lewin and Chelsea, Chelsea were on the same uh, team. Uh, and so we would be spending a lot of evenings at the ballpark. And that's where I really got to know her personally. I mean, I knew her, and she knew who I was, and we were friends, but nothing. But, boy, at the ballpark, we bonded over uh, girls softball. <laughs> so the, tell us about when you decided to quit ARCLA and to go on the campaign trail and work for Bill Clinton for his presidential run in 1992. I had done a lot of volunteer work for Clinton. As an Arkansas traveler. Uh, yeah. And, um, and during the campaign. And it was getting to be where I was um, spending more and more time uh, on that campaign than I was uh, on my job at ARCLA. It was, you could feel the pull. Um, and people were calling not just after work, but it got to where people were calling during the day. Reporters were coming into town. They wanted... They wanted to talk to Arkansas people. And finally, I just said, look, you know, I need to make this break and go do this thinking, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do when when this election is over. And he loses. 
or <laughs> as it turned out, even if he won, because I, I, um, I remember um, after the election and, and the transition, um, one night I was working late, and so was Vince Foster. And we were both talking about um, whether to go to Washington or not. Um, and when Mac McClarty was named chief of staff, Vince told me that was the the real decision that pushed him over to go to Washington. That because he and Mac were good friends, and and he knew Mac and I were good friends. And and I said, yeah, that's kind of where I'm leaning. But I couldn't get there, and I just talked it over with my family. We couldn't get there, no matter how much I thought it'd be fun. I couldn't make it work. Added up the numbers. Still, your family came first. It, it did, and and it was just if my kids had been older and um, different, there might have been a different story. But I, I just, and so about two days before I was going to leave, I went over to Max's house and knocked on the door and said, "I'm not going." Wow, you were down to the wire that far, yeah, two days, yeah. and was, said, "I'm not going." I'm not going. So, how long was it before you started working at Cranford Johnson? Well, this Robinson was really a, a great funny story is that I, I thought and Mac asked me that what are you going to do and I said I don't know I have no idea I, but I just made the decision not to go so I hadn't gotten that far Ron Robinson had been uh, a friend of mine for a long time we had done a lot of things together a lot of projects together I thought he was and still do think he was one of the greatest uh, public relations geniuses of our time he I thought he was absolutely extraordinary um so I went to see him for advice. I just went in and said, I got to talk to you in confidence. He said, okay, what? And I said, I'm not going to Washington. He said, what? I said, I'm not going. Nobody knows. He said, why? I said, I got three kids, Ron. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to, I can't make it work. And I'm not going to look back. He said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, that's why I'm here. What do, you, where, what do you think I should do? Where should I look? And he said, Will you give me 24 hours? He said, how about here? And I said, I never even thought about this. He said, will you give me 24 hours before you talk to anybody else? And I said, yeah. Wow. So I came back the next day or shortly thereafter, and he said, here's an offer. Will you, will you do it? And would you start this policy division? Would you do this? And and uh, I thought, I've bounced from the public to the private to the public to the private, so the bounce wasn't near as hard for me, so I did. And you started their public policy division with all your experience, and I bet it did great. It was, we had a good run. Do there. they still have that division? They, they don't call it that way, but they still do that kind of work. They still do the advocacy work. They still do governmental relations work. And this is when you decided to to do the Clinton Library while you were still there at Cranford Johnson. Yeah, I get this call saying, would you head up this library project? And I said, yes. And then I hung up the phone and thought, what in the world is a presidential library? That's what I thought the first time I heard it. Too. Well, that's exactly what I thought. And, uh, and I thought, what have I done? Um, and so um, I started studying it. And I, I just started researching and studying and figuring out what all we had to do and where it was going to be and site selection and all the, the hoops we had to go through in terms of, of you know, 
the political uh, criticisms of Clinton and all the issues of those that didn't like him, and um, and so it was it was it, it was it was a tough but project. But all along, I kept saying, this thing's gonna be good for Little Rock. This is gonna be a great new venue. This is gonna be an anchor downtown. My friend Richard Allen, the late Richard Allen, who right. I loved as a writer, and I just and I love Carol Allen as I'm just I think they're just great people. Richard called the area where we are Murky Bottoms, and he would write all these columns about you're going into Murky Bottoms, and I'd call him and I'd say, Richard, we're going to transform this. Well, it's Murky Bottoms. He, that's what he called downtown Little Rock. Well, he, that's what he called the the site of the Clinton Library. Oh, because it it is. Yeah, yeah, he called it Murky Bottoms and um, Murky Bottoms. Murky Bottoms. <laughs> So I said, "Well, Richard, give me a break. I mean, you know, we're going to do, we're going to transform this area." But uh, now those murky bottoms are really popular environmental. Oh yeah, we did we did, we did it you right. One hundred sixty-five million dollars did it right. Boy, you did. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, Skip's going to tell us about the mission of the Clinton School of Public Service, its courses, degrees, how you can apply, and his favorite success story of one of his students. So be thinking about that, Skip. Got it. Also, we'll get his thoughts on the future of downtown Little Rock, our public schools, and politics in America today. Listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, I'm speaking today with Mr. Skip Rutherford, Dean of the Clinton School of Public Service. I know there is much discussion about where to put the Clinton Library and Park. What was the deciding factor to put it in downtown Little Rock? Well, ultimately, Bill Clinton made the final decision. I know so, Fayetteville wanted it. Hope wanted it. Well, the first battle we had to fight was, was it going to be in Arkansas or some other place? Yale wanted it. Washington, oh, really? Yeah, Washington, D.C. wanted it. Uh, so... There was that fight, Arkansas or somewhere else. And then once you got through Arkansas, where in Arkansas? And Murky really, Bottoms. <laughs> well, Murky Bottoms won. But, uh, but it really narrowed down to uh, Little Rock and Fayetteville. And once that decision was made, where do you put it in the central Arkansas area? And it narrowed down to the, the runner-up site for the library is now where uh, Dickie Stevens Field is. Oh, that, really? That was the runner-up site. That would have been a good one, it too. Was, it was a great choice. It was wonderful. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a bad thing. The, the advantage of the, uh, the site that, that, that was picked is that it's, it's directly on the interstate. Uh, you've got now that pedestrian bridge. You've had the opportunity for a big park, green space. Yeah, and, a really big park. And you're within walking distance of the uh, convention center uh, and, and hotels and restaurants. And so... Um, was the River Market already? River Market was there. Already Jimmy, there. J- Jimmy Moses uh, uh, and Dean Capuris and others had done the River Market. Were they, did they use fair housing tax credits to do that? I don't that? know. I don't know how I'm they did gonna that. I'm going to have them on. I want to know how they did that. Uh, but they deserve a lot of credit. Yes, gosh. Um, but, they, uh, but the River Market itself was struggling. I mean, the, the businesses were, there wasn't, there, there wasn't an anchor. There, there wasn't an anchor. And when we started the project, it was interesting, Carrie, because I thought my whole effort would be geared to, um, you know, just building the library and working through all the, you know, easements and money raising and all the stuff you had to do. But I quickly got into other things like we brought in some tourism experts and they said, look, Skip, here's what Little Rock is missing. You are missing brand name hotels on the interstate. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, Look, when people are traveling through, they, they want brand names. And I said, well, like what? 
like Comfort Inn and Holiday Inn. I said, but we've got the Capitol Hotel and we and the Peabody was get, coming in. And they said, that's not what the tourism and the tour buses want. They really? Want, yeah. So we went out working with the, with the Little Rock Convention and Visitors Bureau and others and recruited Comfort Inn and Holiday Inn. The Comfort Inn took the over Masters Inn and the, and the Holiday Inn took what was the, the old Sheridan. Sheridan. Yeah, it was vacant. Uh, and so that was important. Then um, Charles Morgan at the time was looking at expanding his Axiom operation. Uh, and we went to him and said, why don't you build it downtown? And he, at the time, his young talent that he was trying to recruit wanted to be downtown rather than in the suburbs. So he made this big investment in this new building, first big new office building in downtown Little Rock in, I think, 25 years or so, which is now going to be the Simmons Bank Tower. What is? The Axiom. Simmons Bank what? is moving into the Axiom building. Where's the Axiom building? Where's Axiom going? Axiom has consolidated its operations in Conway. Oh. But but at the time, it was big for us. And the fact that that building was there and Simmons is able to come in and move is really big. And then one afternoon, I got a call. Uh, Rhett Tucker said, what are you doing at lunch? And I said, nothing. And he said, we're going over to make a presentation to the Heifer Board they're thinking about moving to Chicago. They're going to build a new facility. And I said, we're, he said, we're going to, we, we need to go make a presentation about locating next to the Clinton Center. So Rhett and I met with a heifer board at lunch uh, and made the pitch. Um, and, um, and they liked it. Well, it helped that we got Bill Clinton on the phone calling some of them saying. Yeah, yeah. People don't realize that. A lot of success goes to people like you that just pick up the phone and go down there and do it and ask somebody for lunch, and the next thing you know, you're having your goals met and your dreams come true. Well, give Joe Luck a lot of credit on this, the former CEO of Heifer. She, she, was, she was very strong on, on this, so I give her an enormous... But if you had not gone down there and just said, let's go down there and talk to him at lunch. Well, if Rhett Tucker hadn't called and Rhett and I hadn't gone down think, there... Dream big. Think big. Well, but, but, but again... There were a lot of other factors. I mean, we got Bill Clinton on the phone. Right. And, and so there were a lot of things that were that were happening, positive. But think what – I mean, you can understand why Heifer was looking at Chicago because O'Hare is a lot easier – To fly into. Oh, you know, yeah, for their international connections all over the world. It makes a lot of sense. You can see why they were doing that. So we were fighting that battle. Um, but um, fortunately, and, and I think, you know, every time I drive by that Heifer building, I smile. I bet you do. Were there any surprises after the opening? After the library opened? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there were several surprises. Um, the first, <laughs> the, uh, I, I really had done a lot of due diligence with the other presidential libraries. And I thought I had covered every potential issue that might have happened. And the morning that library opened, I stood up. The first day, not that grand opening, but the first really opening day. Not the rainy grand the opening. The rainy grand opening, which I'll tell you a funny story on that one. But the, 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 <laughs> so I was sitting over there and I saw all these recreational vehicles pulling up. And I thought, nowhere in all my planning had anyone mentioned recreational vehicles. And you had no electric outfit. Like None. This. And we had no parking. We didn't even. People, they were coming up saying, where's the closest park? We had no idea. Um, 
And I thought, boy, Skip, you really messed up on this deal. Um, I can't believe nobody in tourism. They're talking about hotels, and they're not talking about all the people that travel with the recreational well, vehicles. But, but again, um, yes, but, but, but I don't think people, and it was my fault, not anybody else's fault. That's uh, the sign of a good leader taking but, responsibility. But, but I, we were directly on the interstate, so it was easy for recreational vehicles. I mean, they were just, and so I just started standing up there looking and seeing the numbers that were passing by thinking, Oh, my goodness, boy, did you mess this up. But thanks to Pat Hayes, uh, who came through on the other side of the river. Right. If you drive by there and you look at that RV park, it's full a lot of times. I go over there on a regular basis uh, just to walk through and say thank you. Um, um, and they got the walking bridge. Oh, they got the walking bridge. And people and, love that that RV park on the North Little Rock side oh, of the river. People, the people, the, the, the people, the regulars that come out. But they, I have friends that use it. Yeah, they yeah, love and, it. And they, they they go to Verizon Arena. They go to events in downtown Little Rock. Uh, it's wonderful. And so now, when people drive up, you say right across the river. There it is. I see. Can you yep. see it from here? Uh, how many has it met its visitors projections the first year it and did. then some, didn't it? Yeah, we. we it's been meeting its visitor projections all along. It's one of the great things that, that, um, and, and part of that is um, due to the emphasis of, and it's a great job, and Joyce Willis, who works for the Clinton Foundation, does really great work of reaching out to the uh, education community and bringing, getting school children and school kids in there. Uh, and we've tried to help with our speaker series where we bring in a lot of people to, to come to the Clinton School of the Speaker Series. But, yeah, we've been pleased with it. I worked – I was a volunteer when it very first opened. Uh-huh. And I went through all the classes and stuff at the very beginning. And I remember everybody being kind of amazed at how well it was doing. And I was, too. I didn't understand li- presidential libraries and what they – and how much draw there is and that there's people – that travel around and go see all the president's libraries just because they're history buffs. Sure. And you know what I used to always tell people to do? Go down there because you know how there's a bank of what he did every day, a book of every year yeah. of what he did, and you can go and flip this book open and see what he did on every day of the year. Yep. I would always tell people to go look and see what he did on your birthday. Yep, I still do that. And uh, But the funny thing about the Grand W, let me tell you something funny. I was down there that morning. Uh, we were getting ready, and, and it was starting to rain. And I was doing a bunch of interviews. And I looked up, and they had a, a, a cover over the speaker, speaker's stand that they were taking down. And I just went on and I said, what's this? Why? I mean, look at the forecast. This is the rainy grand opening. Yeah, and so uh, and I said, why, why are you taking this down? Well, the TV visual will be better. I said, in a rainstorm? <laughs> and they said, well, we this is funny. We have checked with Air Force One, and during the window of the program, it's going to stop raining, according to the weather on Air Force One. And I, well, who am I to, to take on Air Force One? Right. I, oh, maybe they got, I mean. Word from God. Yeah. I mean, certainly weather gurus. Well, during that program, it rained the hardest that it did the entire day. I and, know. I thought, I thought Bush was going to die of pneumonia. Well, I thought, and Clinton looked over at me in the middle of the program and said, who made this thing so long? talking about the actual program and i leaned back i said you did <laughs> oh good job uh you were the president of the clinton foundation when you started and uh, now did you ever and david pryor your your friend was the first dean of the clinton school of public service and you are the second 
did you ever think you'd be that? No, and and it was, uh, I'd been teaching at the college level. I'd been volunteer teaching at the college level, so I'd, I'd, I'd had several years of teaching experience, but um, Alan Sugg was president of the University of Arkansas System. He asked several people for suggestions on who should be considered to be dean. Um, and I submitted some names, not myself. I submitted some names. So one day I was at home working on a speech, and he called my house and said, I've been trying to find you. I said, oh, I'm, 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 I'm working on a speech. Uh, and he said, can you come up to my office? He said, I've only got an hour. I said, Alan, I hadn't even cleaned up. I, you know, I hadn't shaved. I hadn't cleaned up. He said, no, just throw on a pair of blue jeans and come up here. Let's talk. I need... And I thought what he was going to do is say, here's the person I'm going to recommend, and will you be supportive of that choice? And so I walked in. He said, I'd like a cup of coffee. I said, sure. And so we sort of small talk. He said, well, I got a question. I said, what's he said? How would you like to be dean of the Clinton School? And I said, Alan, you have got to be kidding. <laughs> and I said, I don't know anything about being a dean. And he said, did you know anything about building a presidential library? You're just but, a can-do guy. Because... You built a good one. And I said, well, no. He said, you got 48 hours. To Tell me what you want to do. Yeah. So what are the mission? What's the mission of the school? The mission of the school, uh, it, it, it's the nation's and the w world's first master of public service degree. The world? The world. And how it differs from more traditional programs in public administration, public affairs, and public policy is that our students, a significant portion of the academic credit is direct field service work. So over the course of two years of study, our students perform team-based, international, and individual projects all over Arkansas, America, and the world. And so students are actively engaged. It's a, it's a, it's a model of leadership through civic engagement. And uh, it's sort of what I call academics for the real world. So our students are out there all over, whether it be in villages in Africa or in schools in Arkansas, uh, making a difference in people's lives. And how many students are there? We take between 35 and 45 every year. Every year. And they come from everywhere, don't all they? Over the, all over the world. Where are some from right now? Well, we just, uh, we, we, they're, you know, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, in some of our... Uh, um, What's the qualification to get in there? I mean, I know you have lots and lots of applicants. How do you decide who's going to come in? Does it have anything to do with their, their BS degree? I mean, in last or year, their B, in, BA degree? Or in last year's class, uh, Carrie, we had 27 different undergraduate majors. Oh, okay. So you have finance sitting next to archaeology and English sitting next to French. I mean, it's just all over the board. The common denominator is public service, and whether that issue is education, environment, economic development, um, I mean, there's just a wide public health. There's just a wide variety of different issues. One of the things I did when I became dean, because we saw a lot of students who said, I would like to get an MBA or I'd like to get a master's in public health or I'd like to get a law degree. And we developed concurrent programs. So if you come to the Clinton School, you can get your master of public service, but concurrently you can get a law degree at 
the William H. Bowling School of Law at UAE at Little Rock. You can get a Master of Public Health along with a Master of Public Service. You can get that MPH degree at the Faye Bozeman College of Public Health at UAMS. And you can get an MBA in conjunction with your Master of Public Service at the Sam Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. Well, how so, would they do that that far away, though, in They Fayetteville? do a year in Little Rock, a year in Fayetteville, and then split the third year. So it's, it's a four-year? It's a Oh, if they're getting... If they're getting a concurrent degree, it usually takes two and a half, three years. Three years, yeah. Those are some ambitious kids. Yeah, we've got about, you know, 15% of our student body that's doing that. Really? Yeah. Um, what? Tell me a good success story. Well, there are several, and I hate to just highlight one. Um, um, but, but I can tell you a success story because it, it, it is um, it's one I'm, I'm really proud of. I was reading the Chronicle of Higher Education one day. It's the Guru magazine on higher ed. And on the front page was the cover about student loan debt. And there was a picture of a young man named Demas Espinola. He was at the College of the Holy Cross in Massachusetts, long way from Little Rock, Arkansas. So I read the article. He was quoted about his student loan debt, how he didn't realize the impact that it was deferring his dream to go to medical school that he was going to move back in with his parents and get a job and start paying off his debt. Mm. So I read that article, and I looked over at my assistant, and I said, look, if you get a chance, let's find Demas Espinola. I want to talk to him. <laughs> so a few minutes later, came in and said, the College of the Holy Cross will not give out his uh, information, which I said, well, can you ask them, can you give them mine, and can they pass the message on so maybe he'll call me? Right. And, and they did. So later, the next day I get this phone call, and it says, hello, this is Demas Espinola, and you were trying to find me. And I said, Demas, let me introduce myself. I read about you. He said, oh, Dean Rutherford, my college, not happy with me because all I talked about was student loan debt. <laughs> I said, well, it impacts on me. And I said, I, I want to talk to you about the Clinton School of Public Service, and he said, "Well, Dean Rutherford, I, you know, I, you know, I just, I mean, I can't afford another round of debt." And I said, "Demas, I just want you to look at the program, get on the website, spend a day looking at it. You, you let me worry about funding right now. You look at this program, because." Nothing tugs at my heart anymore than a kid who can't do what she or he wants to do because of student loan debt. So call me back after you look at this program. The next day he called me back, he said, first thing he said was, why didn't I know about your program? And I said, well, next year you will. Demas Espinola applied to the Clinton School. I picked him up at the Little Rock Airport, his first visit south. The first thing he says to me was, you talk funny. <laughs> and I said, so do you. <laughs> And so we check out of the Little Rock Airport, and we at the, where I'm paying the money at the at the attendant, and I say, "Have y'all been busy? Have you had a nice day?" I mean, I, and, yeah. and he looked at me and said, "You're talking to the attendant." I said, I "Always talk to the attendant." He said, "We don't do that." And I said, "Welcome to the South, Demas." Yeah. He said, "Not only do we talk funny, but we do have this sense of." So anyway, he said, "I'm here because I want to go to a top tier med school." And I want to do well here. My goal is to make a four-point and to do very well here so I can up my uh, ante. 
All of his three projects, his field projects, he did in the relation of health. His international project, he went to Ghana. Wow. He worked on eye testing in villages and giving villagers glasses. Wow. He's interviewed for UMass. They call him. He wants UMass Medical School. He calls me after his interview and says, I just had the best interview and 95% of the time was talking about Ghana and I just wanted to thank you. You're gonna, he's going to speak at your funeral. Let me tell you what. He, is now, he was named the Outstanding Pediatric Resident <gasps> at Walter Reed Medical Center. <gasps> a month ago, he received a Pediatric Endocrinology Residency Fellowship. He is on a tra- trajectory to be one of the finest young pediatric specialists in the country, and I'm already recruiting him to come back to Arkansas. That's a success story. That's a God story. That is wonderful. I, I'm speechless. I've got goosebumps. That is a success story. You're going to go to heaven. There's no, I don't no know about doubt that, about but I but but I I want Demas back to take care of me when I when I when I'm approaching that. Oh, I'm, but he's a great doctor because oh, he's, he's been in the trenches. Uh, send sending thank you cards is a tip that you give to everybody that comes. Yeah. To, and I you write them. You are a champ. I can I can take you up and show you the Dreamland Ballroom the next day. I get a thank you card from the very busy Skip Rutherford saying thank you for showing me the Dreamland. And I try to copy you and be as good as you but nobody's as good at you as writing thank no, there you cards. Are. Ron Robinson's better than I am. He just wrote me one the other day he's over be- the he, Dreamland he, documentary. Oh, I'm telling you he's 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 Matt McClarty's uh, and George H.W. Bush is as good as anybody. He writes them too. Um, yeah I think it's very important and in fact I tell my students in fact um, in one of the classes I teach I have them practice writing a thank you note. I've heard. You're wonderful at it. Well, because, look, I think it sets people out. You know, at least in our generation or generations around us, um, the thank you note makes a big difference. I was humbled that you took the time to do that for me. I think I kept it, too. Well, I think I still I, have I, it. I really, I really believe it makes a difference. And, I, and, I, and our students, have, I've got several stories from students who have told me how it's made a difference in their career. It absolutely does. Now, we have four things. We have five minutes, and we have four things to talk about. You want to talk about schools in in Arkansas today. You want to talk about the future of the river market. You want to talk about... I think people probably want to hear what you think, Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, why her campaign went awry. And then, of course, you've got the farm business. But I want to ask you why Hillary Clinton... You think Hillary's campaign went awry. Well, number one, this was a change election, and I think the Clinton people uh, knew that but but didn't realize how significant the change was. And you look at change elections. Bill Clinton in 92 won on a change election. Barack Obama in 2008 won on a change election. So change elections are not unusual. I think everybody, including the Clinton campaign, underestimated Donald Trump. I think Donald, I think you can you can talk about what happened and the fact she did win three million more popular votes, and that's that's a fact. But he won a convincing victory in the Electoral College, and that's a fact. So uh, I think I think number one, he was underestimated. Number two, I think that in spite of everything that was going on, um, the email server, um, the Clinton Foundation pay-for-play issue. Those were really taking their toll in a change election. I think they did far more damage than the Clinton world uh, ever thought. And I think you've got to give Trump credit. We saw those big crowds at rallies. We saw those big crowds at 
And everybody said, oh, those are just people, you know. Well, guess what? They voted. They, right. they came out in rural Pennsylvania. They came out in Iowa. They came out in Wisconsin. They voted. So there was this total underestimate estimation, I believe, by the Clinton campaign of the Trump campaign. The other thing that I think happened, which, 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 which told me a lot, I went home to Batesville, my hometown, which is America's best hometown, by the way. <laughs> and um, one of my friends in Batesville told me before the election that, I, that we were going to lose, that Clinton was going to lose and said that everybody he knew, including most of my high school friends, were voting for Trump. Uh, and part of it was that they just didn't relate to her. And he also said, I just want you to know that I'm not a deplorable. <sighs> and I don't, that wasn't what she meant. I right. knew that. We know that. But it was how it was interpreted. Um, and But how come he can say so many de- things that are wrong and it doesn't seem to bother Change people? election. And do change elections come every certain amount of years? Because I was kind of thinking about tracking that. It seems like they're like every eight years or well, something. Well, most of them are. There have been some that, that you know, we went from Ronald Reagan and George Bush won the third term of Reagan, then Clinton came back and beat him. But in 2000, George W. Bush, in a change election, beat Al Gore. They wanted to shift. They didn't want Al Gore, even though Al Gore won the popular vote then. Do you to, believe in the electoral vote? You know, I... And I, I would prefer uh, a direct election of the president. I, I, I would prefer the popular vote wins. But, but I understand the argument in my own personal way. I, I, I would rather have whoever gets the most votes because I think one vote per person, uh, one state should not get more, more than pre- another. Yeah. I mean, in terms of because whether you live in Fresno, California or Batesville, Arkansas, your vote ought to be the same. That is a very good point. We're at the end of the show. Thank you. You're getting a cigar. You don't look like you smoke. I don't but you smoke. Can pass but I'll, it but on. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it to somebody at Arkansas Flag and Banner. <laughs> You're getting that for birthing politicians, birthing great ideas, and for birthing the Clinton Center. Thank you. Thank Isn't it you pretty? Very You're much. welcome. Uh, who's our guest next week, Tim? Next week it's going to be Tommy Jamison of Jamison Architects. Skip. It's been an honor to Carrie, have thanks you on for today. Oh, I'm great. telling you, you are the cat's pajamas. Now I'm really dating myself. Also, if you have a great entrepreneurial story and you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org and someone will be in touch. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next Friday at 2 p.m. Be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Want to hear today's program again or want someone else to benefit from it? Jot this down. Within 48 hours, a podcast will be available at flagandbanner.com. Click the tab labeled Radio Show. There you'll find today's segment with links to resources you heard discussed on this program. Carrie's goal, to help you live the American dream.